today on the Life Sentence Podcast. So when I got out and I looked at the whole threshold of the door, this had blood. Oh, my God. I was just blood everywhere. I was looking at the death penalty. You know, prison life can be an emotional war zone. Many of those incarcerated choose to continue the crimes and behaviors that began on the outside, like violence, substance abuse, and other crimes. Others, against all odds, rise up and heal, whether they're getting out or not. That's why we can learn something from today's guests. I'm Sonny Schwartz. I've been working in criminal justice for over 40 years as a law student, lawyer, and always an activist. I've developed dozens of programs for incarcerated people and formerly incarcerated people. I'm an author, wife, mother, and dog mom, rabbit baseball fan, and now a podcast host. This is the Life Sentence podcast from inside the walls of Central California Women's Facility near Chowchilla, California, the largest women's prison in the world. I first met Tammy Garvin six years ago. She was serving life without the possibility of parole for murder. That means sentenced to die in prison. Tammy was part of a group of about 21 women, all serving life sentences. Hi, I'm Sunny. So I guess this intro was just to tell you, you don't know me, you don't know us. All I can offer you is that, that I, you know, I hope you keep your mind and heart open and believe us that there's no judgment here. While on one hand, some of the things that we do that hurt people is not a justification, but on the other hand, there's no coincidence in the cycle of violence. And the question is, who suffered abuse as a child? Everyone's hands went up. Everyone's, including Tammy's. Thank you. And we're sorry. So Tammy, can you share your experience, your journey yeah. as, a, as a, a child and what brought you here today? My name is Tammy Garvin. Um, I've been incarcerated for 28, 28 years. I'm a survivor of uh, human trafficking and domestic violence. You know, prison sure ages a person. Tammy had gray hair, kept in a simple hairband, crooked glasses, and she needed a cane to walk. Despite that, I have never met a woman with so much resolve. Every time I talked with Tammy, knowing what she has been through, it blows my mind. The fact that she's still alive today redefines the word survivor. She has held on to her humanity, even though virtually everyone around her turned their back on her, let her down to the max. Um, I've been in a self-help group in mental health since 2009, and it's an abuse trauma group, and it's very intense. And I also go to um, a self-help group in mental health uh, for human trafficking. So in my home at age 12 was when I um, seen domestic violence inside my home. When um, my mother brought a man home, his name is um, Al. I won't give up his last name. So one evening, Tammy said Al, her mother's boyfriend, locked her mom in a room and was beating her up. Tammy pounded on the door trying to get him to stop but couldn't get in. 
Tammy then called the police. My mother um, said, who called the police? And I said, I did. She went, she shook her head. She opened up the door and she said, everything is all right. And I said, all right. And she looked at me, she said, yes, Tammy, everything is all right. So right then and there, I learned to lie that you don't call the police. Um, that's, that, that's that household code. Um, you don't call the police at all. Whatever goes on in the home stays in the home. As you can imagine, trying to learn Tammy's story in a room full of people was difficult at best. Fast forward years later, we got together with Tammy to talk with zero distractions. We picked up our conversation when she moved to the suburbs with her mother and her mother's boyfriend, the perpetrator, Al. Tammy said they were so isolated from family and friends. How did he treat you? He didn't. He didn't like me. Living in the suburbs, my mother started commuting to work. So my mother would get up early in the morning to go to work. And I, I didn't see my mother till late at night coming back home. Yeah. So uh, I became my sibling's um, second mother. Yeah. At age 12. Okay. And what happened? Wow, we, uh, so my mom's going to work now, the wee hours of the morning. Yeah. And uh, her boyfriend started molesting me. Oh, boy. And um, and I told my mother this, and uh, she's like, no, no, Tammy, you don't want Al in the household. I go, well, I'm trying to tell you what's going on. So um, I talked to my mom's oldest sister, and my my. Uh, my aunt tried to talk to my mom, too. You know, my mom didn't listen. Okay. So all my family came to Santa Clara visiting, and he's wrestling with me, fondling me. Al was the yes. boyfriend? Uh-huh. And my aunt caught him. And my aunt told him, uh-uh, you can't, that's inappropriate. Don't be touching her. She's a young girl now, blah, 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 blah. And she told my mother. Still didn't believe. My mother's still like, nope. Tammy continued to endure horrific sexual abuse from her mother's boyfriend. Then another trusted adult, her only friend's father, brutally raped and beat her. Too afraid to speak up, Tammy said not one adult asked her why she had bruises on her body and cuts on her face. Not one damn adult. No one noticed nothing. So we had this bathroom, uh, the kids' bathroom. Went on and turned on the light, and uh, to look at myself. Yeah, it's just you know. What did you see? I just see my lip was busted. I was getting a little black eye. Just you know, no one noticed me when I came home. So. Uh, Do you remember how you felt at that time? Um. I don't know. Uh, no, you know, just to me, I'm going to say it was like the same old, uh, I had my same old routine. No one is noticing. I just need you to do this, to do this, and to do this. Is what it, because Al was also, the boyfriend was right. abusing you. Was molesting me. You were probably wondering, where the hell was Tammy's father during all this? Well, that's a story in and of itself. When her mother was pregnant with Tammy, Tammy's father went to prison for rape. They divorced before Tammy was born. 
Tammy, however, met her father when she was five years old. She saw him on the weekends. I was calling my dad every day. I go, this is just not a good place for me. And I couldn't say why it wasn't a good place for me. Your dad didn't know? No. He knew he'll find out later on. Yeah. And uh, it just wasn't a good place for me. I start running away from home. Yeah. Um, my mom never looked for me. My dad did. So um, eventually I went to go live with my father. You know? In San Francisco? Yes. And I was happy. Mm-hmm. I was so happy. But the stepmother doesn't want me there. Your, you know? f- your father's wife. Right. She doesn't want me there at all. Tammy was forced to move back in with her mother and her abuser. I don't know about you, but you're probably saying to yourself, what the hell? How could this be real? Why didn't the adults in Tammy's life protect her? That little girl, that adolescent girl, that human being. So what emotions are you feeling right now? Anger, resentment, fear, sadness, a shred of empathy? Are you relating to any of this? Let's check it out. Eventually, uh, I meet Al's daughter. The boyfriend's daughter. No, Al. Yeah, my yeah my mom's, mom's boyfriend's, boyfriend's daughter. daughter. Yeah, her name was Perla. Perla. And now she lived in Oakland. She had no supervision, none whatsoever. We didn't do anything until at night. And what happened Nothing, at night? Um, she asked me, did I want to meet her friend? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, why not? Yeah. You know? And it was a grown man. And, um, you know, he introduced himself, you know, and he just started asking questions about me, you know. You're interested in me, you know. Mm. And um, I started telling him uh, about the molestation, the rape, how my mother doesn't listen to me, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And he told me that... um, I will listen to you. I will protect you. I will let no harm come to you. He said everything that I needed to hear from my mother. Yeah. What did that feel like? That for me, it felt good. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. That, you no. know, that I found someone that's going to listen to me, someone that's going to protect me. You're not going to let any harm come to me. Yeah. You know, where you say you're not going to even harm me yourself. Right. You know? So I'm and you good. believed him. I, yeah, I did. You know, this uh, 14-year-old girl has been raped and beaten. No one notices you, but there's someone out right now that's, that's noticing me. That's right. You know? So, yeah, I took it all in. I got you. You know, literally. Yeah. I took it all in. Yeah. Tammy was being sex trafficked. That means she was enslaved. This man was a pimp, and Tammy was his prey. They introduce you to, um, you know, clothing. Let's start with, you know, uh, can I go buy you some clothes? You know, oh, you may look good in this, shoes, heels, or whatever. So he went out and buy you bought you clothes, but did you know why he was buying you clothes? Nope, just being nice to me. He just and then is uh what we what can what would you what can you do for me? You know, was the thing, you know. That he would, said? Yeah. Would you be willing to uh go out here um in the streets um to uh with men to make money? The money's for us, you know, it's not for them, the money is for us. 
And uh, there would be somebody there with you to protect you, to make sure nothing bad happens to you and all that. And uh, yeah, I said, uh, yeah. Yeah. I said, yes. Because sure. you're giving me what I want. That's right. You're giving me what I need right now. You feel dirty afterwards. And I'm going to say, um, it's like, what is your first time really having sex like? Yeah. L- literally. And if it's like this, you know, uh-uh. Yeah. I'm a... Yeah. Because I hadn't really had sex. Yeah. It was raped. Yes. When Tammy's mother needed her at home, she would then leave the streets. But Larry the pimp would lure her back. After Tammy turned 18, she never went home again. When I got of age and he started beating me. The pimp? Yeah. He didn't beat me as a juvenile. That's one thing he didn't. I, I, I have to say... um. I'm not protected or nothing, but um, he didn't give me drugs and he didn't give me alcohol um, because you had to go out there um, with a straight head to know what was going on. And if you got caught getting not high or drinking, you would get beat, you know? So, no, he never gave me drugs. I got drugs at, um, let me say, 18. Mm-hmm. I started with marijuana. So Tammy was working the streets of Los Angeles, Sunset Boulevard, for her pimp. Do you remember that movie, Pretty Woman? Some of you sure do, and then you've seen it. You know that street. There was nothing romantic about that. And there was no Richard Gere coming to rescue Tammy. Tammy was arrested in Los Angeles and eventually ended up in Salinas, California, working the streets with other young women. The police uh, stopped us. Mm-hmm. Said you guys are young and you need to go home. So they put us in the police car and took us to the bus station. But every pimp that was in Salinas, and this is something may seem like out of the movies, but this is real. They followed us to the bus station, literally. The pimps did. They did. And... um. The police just dropped us off, and afterwards the pimps came in, and I started talking to us, you know, and there was one named Sweet Larry, this was his name, and uh, he talked to me, talked to me, talked to me, and I left with him. I lived by myself. Um, I had an apartment. He got me a little hoopty car to drive around in to make sure I can get back and forth to work. Um, to work on the streets? Yes. Okay. Um and this is where I was introduced to drugs. Okay. Um, and it started with uh, started with marijuana, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, started with drinking because those things made it a little bit easier. Yeah. To numb yourself to um, to allow people to touch you. Yeah. You know, this is I'm I'm high. Yeah. So um, I went to work for Sweet Larry. So what was what was the requirement to when you were trafficked uh, the the trafficker pimp did he lay down rules of what you were supposed to do and how many yeah you had a quota of how much money you would have to bring home a night we would have to bring home at least $400 a night so for me I learned how to steal you know um if I could pickpocket and take your money 
I would go get me a room and go somewhere and go to sleep. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Because I'd be so tired sometimes. Yeah. You so know? you had to bring home 400 bucks a night. Yes. And if you didn't? Uh, you would get beat. Larry was an abuser big time. And this is where I got my beatings at. Um, I got my shoulder. I got beat with a baseball bat from Larry. Got my shoulder broke. I remember falling down the stairs, standing up at the screen door, and just saying like this, can somebody please help me? Because oh, I couldn't even scream. One of his friends came over and said, you need to take her to the hospital. Well, they took me to the hospital. It's just like, you know how people would drop off chunkies just at the door? Just drop me off at the door and drove off. My mother came and got me, and uh, my mother said, Tammy, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill you. I stayed home a couple of days there. Larry called me on the phone. Tammy, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'll never do this again to you. Please come back. I said, yes, I left. My arm is in a sling. You cannot cast a shoulder at all. Right. So I'm just in a sling and working the streets. What struck me was you said your mom said he's going to kill you. How, why did she say that? Did you share with her? Uh, the beating? Yeah. I shared with her the beating. And she saw that you had your arm in a yeah, sling? Yeah, in a sling, you know, but all she could say is he's going to beat you. But, I mean, he's going to kill you. But this, the thing is, um, I was introduced to domestic violence through her. No, We never had domestic violence in my household until she met Al. Yeah. You know, this is, I'm working, this is my life right now, you know? Did she say anything about it? Nope, because at times when she needed money, you took that dirty money. Okay, so Larry, you're with him from age 18 to? Till the crime, I'm going to I just turned 32 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just turned 32. I had a client. That um, I could not shake, you know? And when I say I couldn't shake him, I just couldn't shake him. And he kept uh, wanting to see you more and more. Yeah, but I just didn't What, what did um, that look like? What how did how did he was, how did you was, know he wanted to see you? Because he would come, he would come down to the know, streets. streets mm-hmm. And I had a street name was Jessica. And he was like, Jessica. And I'm, you know, it's just, you know, and I was like, oh. And I just didn't want to be bothered anymore with him. It was just something I just, um, I was tired. Yeah. You know, literally, I was tired. Yeah. Did he pay you? Yes, he did pay me. But I got to the point where I didn't want his money. Yeah. You know, because it just felt, it didn't feel good. You felt harassed. Yeah. So what happened? Did you tell anybody? Uh, no, yeah, I talked to uh, Larry about it, you know. Uh huh. And um, we just talked about it, but Larry was on cocaine. Who Larry was? Yes. Okay. And Larry needed more money, more money, more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. Yeah. You know, like desperate. More everything was more money. Yeah. So he goes, Tammy, do you have a client that I can rob? And at first I did. I said, yes. Then I said, nah. You know, I went on about my business. He asked again, and I said, yes. And I gave up the client's name. Okay. And he was supposed to go alone. I go, uh, I go you can't get in without me. 
He won't let you in the door without you. Then I go, but I got to make sure that no one gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And these are my only reasons for going. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay. So um, I knock on the door. I say, Jessica, he opened the door. I was supposed to open, get the door open and go to the car and sit in the car. I'm going to rob the man and come out. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not coming out. And you're not coming right out. Wait, you were in the, you knocked on the door. It's Jessica. And then you went into the I car. Went to go, I have to go sit in the car. Okay. And so just, you're sitting and in And wait car. until he comes back. And Larry was inside. Larry was inside. So it took so long. It felt like an hour. I just, I don't know, just everything felt so, felt so long. What happened? How um, did he? How Larry was... stabbed him and, um, and he cut his throat with a glass. Um, My God. And I asked, why all that? Yeah. And this is what he told me. He goes, you don't leave no witnesses behind. I was like, fuck, yeah. you know. So now I'm thinking about what's going to happen to me because I'm a witness. Tammy went on the run, but eventually she turned herself in. Is that what you did? I turned myself in. Larry got arrested from the um, from the police. And uh, what was he arrested for? I, I don't remember. Was it for murder? Uh, no, it was for accessory. It was just only for accessory to murder. They take me to jail. I was crying, 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 crying. And um, I go, can you, they go, we're taking you to jail anyway. So it took me to jail. And um, maybe two days later, I went for arraignment. And the police are sitting in the front row. My family's there. And uh, they go, Tammy, uh, we're arraigning you on uh, first-degree murder. I had a uh, first-degree murder, first-degree robbery, first-degree burglary. And then he got arraigned with me. And then they said his charges. The police were accessory to murder. I go, I go murder. I go, I, and so now I'm. Now so I'm in court. I go, go, I go. Look, I go. I haven't killed anyone. I go. So wait a minute, you know. And then um, there was a public defender that just stood up for me just for their arraignment. She goes, so you need to be quiet, not say anything. I go, not say anything. I want to kill anyone. So you're charged with first degree murder, and the real murderer is accessory. Is accessory. He gets arraigned for the same thing now. Murder. For murder. Okay. And I go, well, I don't get this. They go, well, because you admitted to a crime. It's fel- go, felony murder. Felony murder. I go, well, fuck. I'm telling the fucking truth, mm-hmm. you know? So this is what happens. So I was like, oh, my God. So the DA knew that I wasn't the killer of the crime. Right. And so uh, they wanted me to just give him up. But in jail, I went through so much with this man this man would write me the most god awful letters. I mean, where I would, Larry did. He he wrote you threatening. He wrote you me how. threatening um, letters. How he was gonna beat me. Um, you know, he can't wait to fuck me and then beat the dog sh- shit on me. It was a lot, you know. And uh, one day when I went to court, I go, "Excuse me," but um, I had to tell the bailiff, "Can I go in before him and sit down?" Because I was so scared. You know? So what? So what happened after that? So um, I went to trial. They severed our cases because I gave a confession. Mm-hmm. So they severed our cases so the confession couldn't be used against him, but my confession could be used against me. I, it's the system. I'm sorry. I mean, so what we have here, 
really is exhibit A of how horrible the system is and how unfair. Here we have a case where Tammy did not commit the offense. And she gets charged with murder one. And probably a lot of people listening saying, how the hell does that happen? Well, it does. That's felony murder. If you are participating in any crime, even a shoplifting, we're going to go rob the five and dime and you're crime partner, so to speak, in this case, your trafficker, Mm -hmm. um, decides to pull out a knife or a gun and kill the clerk, you yourself, whoever is with that person who planned that shoplifting, charged with that severe crime. That's how it is. That's how it was. Felony murder is changing in California, but that's how certainly this happened to Tammy. The confession stayed, and that's when I found out um, I was looking at the death penalty once the motions and all that got finished. So what on earth were you, what was going through your mind at um, that time? I went, back to, I went back to the jail. I used to speak to mental health. Um, I talked to mental health, but then um, I talked to the officer of the jail because I needed to go to lockdown. And for me was I needed not to be around people so I could get my mind together. Sorry. I went to trial and um the DA when he he did they heard the confession, um, they heard when I called to turn myself in, all the tapes and stuff, and uh, the DA let me know. He goes, We know it wasn't you. Mm-hmm. We want him. Then they come with me with a deal first. They go, they take a deal of life without parole. And I said, that's not a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, either I'm going to go to death row or I'll get life without parole. I said, but my life doesn't warrant death row. They just looked at me. I go, you know, it doesn't, you know. So um, during my, I was found guilty and then now I have a penalty phase to see if I am going to go to death death row wow. or get um, life without parole. Well, by the grace of God, you know, there was a whole bunch of officers who really knew me. Although I was on the streets, kind of knew me personally. And there were people that I, I helped along the way in my life. Uh, the officers came in uniform, you know, and the jury's just looking at the DA like, who is this lady? You know, because they came in uniform to testify for me for my um, my penalty phase of goodness. There was a couple lives that Poli- I had saved. Wait, we're what? police in uniform. Police in uniform tested because you helped them on the streets. No, just um, there were just um, I would do things, but um, but also was still kind of stayed a good person. Mm-hmm. I did bad things. I'm not gonna lie, but I still did good things. Yeah. You know? And they knew that? Yeah. And uh, they came in to testify, you know, they go like, she'll rob you, but she goes, she's not going to kill you. Okay, you know, I just want to take a second to reflect on what Tammy just said. Tammy knew she made horrible decisions in her life. A man was dead because of her decisions. But she still was trying to cling to that shred and that part of herself that she believed she was a decent and good and kind person. There was some part of her that was not totally destroyed by her family's gross indifference to her being molested, the brutal rape, and being sex trafficked. 
Tammy was desperately hoping that others would see the good in her as well. So what happened with the penalty phase? Uh, at the penalty phase, the jury came back, said life without parole. But now something else has come along. I'm offered a deal hmm. with it from the judge and the DA because we know you didn't kill the man. And I said, okay, you know, so uh, the deal was for me to testify against my co-defendant mm -hmm. for 25 to life. And mm -hmm. I said, okay. So you had a deal in front of you mm -hmm. to change life without parole, the possibility of parole to 25 to life. Right. And for folks out there who, there's a big difference between that. If you're LWAP or life without, mm -hmm. you don't get a parole hearing. It's death by prison. Right. If you get 25 to life, in time, you will get a parole hearing with the possibility of parole, of right. freedom. Correct. So that's a big difference right. that, of a sentence. One day I do go on the stand and testify. Then we take recess for the next day. I get back to the jail that night. There's a letter at the end of my bed telling me that he's going to kill my father if he gets up on that stand and testifies. You know, I better not be testifying. And then I just start crying. Yeah. So I, um, I was in my room in lockdown, I had a buzzer. So I got on the buzzer crying. And they're like, and I just got back from court. And I'm on the buzzer crying, crying, crying. And they pop me out. And I go to the officer station. I go, I need you to call classification for me. And now I showed them the letter, you know, they got on the phone. Um, they went to police who wanted to make sure that my father was okay, my family was okay. It was a lot. And um, they called my attorney. And I get back to court the next day and said, I plead the Fifth Amendment. But you already testified. Yep, but they gave him a mistrial. That fit me getting up there, pleading the Fifth Amendment, gave him a mistrial. Was this a judge or a jury? It was jury. And so because... So his defense attorney moved for a mistrial. Yep, and he got it. Wow. Mm -hmm. So um, what happened in the end? In the end... Um, they pulled the deal? Uh, yeah, they, they in the end they pulled my deal... And what did you get? He was acquitted. He was acquitted. He was acquitted. They didn't refile he against acquitted. him. He was acquitted. They did. He was acquitted. How was he acquitted? Uh, there was no one to testify against him. No one. No one. So he gets fucking acquitted. Incredibly, that's right. Tammy's pimp, her abuser, this monstrous behaving man who murdered her client, got off scot-free. My attorney goes, I need to put it on the, I, I need to put this on the record. He goes, uh, my client, I have to say, told the truth. And, uh, but once again, she was being controlled by the co-defendant once again. And he goes, I have to put this in the record. Good. You know? Yeah. And he did. And my sentencing. And, uh, I went to prison with life without parole. I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't do any of it. I went. My God. He went free. He went free. But when he got out, you went back to pimping. You went back to drugs. You went back to all that. You robbed five banks, five federal banks. 
And that's where you went and did a little bit of time. But not for the murder. Not for the murder. You're sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And you're soon thereafter transferred to... Central California Women's Facility. Mm -hmm. CCWF. And uh, for me... uh, What is going through your mind? For me... For me was, I got to try to get out, but if I have to be here for the rest of my life, I have to make a life for myself. So I went into prison uh, working on myself immediately. You know, uh, I signed up for groups with lifers. And I go, you got life without parole. You know, you don't need to be here. You don't even have to be working. And I go, well, you know, this is for me. I go, and um. I go, things change. I go, you never know, you know. And um, school, I worked, I did everything. I went to group after group after group after group after group because I wanted to know about the trauma that I got that my siblings didn't get. How did you come to that place? I I, mean, you wanted... I just, I wanted to know. And that was my thing. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. What is it that you wanted to know? I wanted to know about me because I knew I wasn't a bad person, but I wanted to know why bad things had happened to me. I'm sitting here listening to this severe and gross injustice perpetrated against you since you were a child. Disbelieved by Mm -hmm. your mother. Once in a while, you know, your aunt stuck up for you. You had some goodness with your grandmother. Your father clearly was looking for you, looking out for you in his own way. But this horror that was perpetrated against you and seeing your client dying, how do you get to a place of such pain and anguish and injustice to a place of, I'm really a good person. What made you, what What was it about that? I don't know, I just, for me, um, I did, um, growing up, I always obeyed my parents. I did, I was a good kid. Um, did you feel like you were a good person? I did, because um, I helped, you know? You I helped. did, I helped. You helped people on the streets. Yeah. You, you shared, know? take care of your yeah. siblings. So I knew something was good about me. So you had your heart, you you felt yeah. your your good heart, it yeah. sounds like. Even after all the ugly stuff that happened to me, um, I always forgave. So where does that come from? The feeling of goodness and wanting to do service for others. Where do, where did that come from? For me in prison, um there was no help. Right. There was no help. So you had to learn how to help. And that's what I did. And that's what you did as a kid. Yeah. There was no help. There was no help. So I had to learn how to help. I had a lot of trust in prison with staff. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I'm not gangbanging. I'm not fighting. My work is leadership. And I might tell on you, the cops, you know, but it's my job, you know, and even whether some liked it and some didn't, you know, but uh, I was straight and to the point. From the very beginning, you wanted to program and figure out how you ended up where you ended up. 
So what kind of programs? Um, I went to, um, well, in the beginning, we had very few groups in prison. Very, very few. So we would go have lifer groups with, um, with mental health. And um, lifers would sit around, tell their stories and stuff. And um, I'd be in a group and they'd go, why are you here? You got life without parole. Right. You don't have to be here. You know, you don't have to work. Tammy said she's a classic textbook people pleaser. In prison, out of prison, since she was a little girl, people pleaser. She was always seeking validation and love by trying to be helpful. Are you a people pleaser? Do you confuse kindness with not wanting to look selfish or wanting to be seen as a good person? Are you always apologizing, even when there's nothing to apologize about? Where does it come from? Is there a history of abuse or neglect or shame for you when you were a child? Think about it. So, Tammy, you're in this trauma, abuse and trauma group Mm -hmm. for 10 years. And what, because what was the biggest, what did you learn from that? What did you go in there hoping to learn and what did you learn? I was hoping to learn that, uh, you know, how much my mother truly loved me, uh, how much, you know, I, I wanted my mother to say sorry to me. I did. So that was the expectation of for, your yearning. For me. And, uh, yearning for validation right. and accountability from your mom. To be like, oh, Tammy, your turn. I'll go, oh, school. So we would do the chairs in the middle. You would, I would be in the chair and somebody would be, the empty chair would be my mother and me talking and just just talking about everything that happened to me and just letting it all out, you know. And, uh, and she let me know, she goes, you'll never, she goes, don't ever look for an apology because you're not going to get it. Yeah. So she so goes, I never want you to look for that ever. She goes, because... People are going to see that they have done nothing wrong when they have, but they're not going to see it that way. So, because I want you to always know, so don't be looking for no apology. Yeah. But there are times, I'm sorry, that I look for an apology. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And I never got it, you know? Who were you looking for an apology from? My mother. Yeah. For most, from my mother. So, a lot of people go into therapy and groups, whether you did time or not. Just yearning for validation and healing and mending of relationships that have been so fractured that you we really needed so much as a child, as a young adult, as an adult, with the expectation, oh, we're, I'm going to go to therapy, I'm going to get better, I'm going to heal, I'm going to get it together with my mother or my father or my brother. Did you get that? No, I didn't. Um, I was hoping, I was hoping to get, you know, tell me I'm sorry. Tell me I'm sorry I didn't listen to you, you know. I'm sorry that all this stuff happened to you, that you're in prison, you know. No, I didn't get that. And uh, that kind of hurt me a little bit, mm-hmm. knowing that I have been working on myself all this time. And uh, and what she told me was, uh, she goes, you're working on you. Right. They're not working on them. Right. They don't even know nothing's wrong with them. That's right. Told her about all the hurt, my molestation, my rape, you know, everything. You you told her all. I just let everything out, you know. And 
And I go, I go, I've been holding this. I go, I go, the people who have been in prison told you what a good, what a good person that I am in prison and the things that I do for people. And it's, it's, I still get this from you. And I go, and I go, and I can't do it anymore. Do you ever think your mom's going to change? No, my mother's not. The thing is, you know, I want to hug my mother and kiss her. She doesn't accept them from me. So I don't know what that is. You still choose I, to I have choose, a I, I do. I choose to have a relationship because she is my mother. Um, she's my mother. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I, it's my mother. It's who she is. That's it. That, that's how I see it. You know, this is my mother. This is how my mother is, you know. Uh, for me, um, I got my help in, in being incarcerated. And, um, yeah, this she's my mother, mm-hmm. who she is. And you still choose to have a relationship with her? I do. I do. And, and I love my mother. I need, I need that to be known, that I do love my mother. I, there's nothing that I wouldn't even do for my mother, and that's even if you hurt her. I'm there for my mother, and I'm going to be honest. You go back to it, Mommy. Why yeah. don't you love me? Why don't you stick up for me? I'm 69 years old, and I don't walk in your shoes, and I didn't do time, and I'm still like, wow, why didn't my mom fucking stick up for me? Why didn't she go to bat for me? That little, innocent, sweet girl. So for me, um, it's just what it is, you know? So here's what drives me crazy and sends me emotionally over the edge. Even more so when I think about my conversation with Tammy six years ago. Remember, she was 28 freaking years into a life without the possibility of parole. Death by prison, 28 years. I asked her at that time, what would you do with yourself if you got out? For me, my dream is um, my dream is working with women. Uh, my tr- dream is working with uh, with young girls for human trafficking because um, I've never had a boyfriend. I can't even tell you um, what it is to act like or be like what a, what a, what a man. Um, I know um, we all feel that need to be wanted. We feel that need to be protected. We feel that need to be loved for someone to love us and. Um, so we go out and we look for um, for people to, to do these things for us, but uh, some of these people are the wrong people in life that we run into. So get this. The laws around Tammy's sentences were changing. Former California Governor Jerry Brown commuted her time. Tammy is out. A free woman. How poetic is this? Now she's running an incredible transitional home for formerly incarcerated women. It's called Five Keys Home Free. If you can see her now, she is a healthy, vibrant, beautiful woman, inside and out. She walks tall with pride, culture, and dignity. Hey, what's up, Tammy? Hey, Sunny, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm cool, how are you doing today? So good to see you. When she's not here at Home Free, Tammy spends her time working with women like her, but are still locked up, helping them reach some sort of peace and understanding about their lives. Oh, and another important thing I want to mention. She has found love, 
beautiful, healthy, vibrant love. I remember that beautiful day that you and Damien got married right here. I mean, it was poetry in motion that here you are after first meeting you in prison, doing 28 years inside for a crime that you did not commit. And you're the director of Home Five Keys Home Free, and you're getting married to this beautiful man where... Ms. Velda, who was an associate. She is the chief deputy chief warden deputy and my boss. Is officiating over this beautiful mm-hmm. wedding outside with a gorgeous day and flowers around. And you look beautiful and Damien looked beautiful and it was so celebratory. And I remember looking around, met your dad, your family, but I didn't see your mom there. What happened? Um, my mother was running late. I got married not once, but twice that day. Why twice? <laughs> because we, I got married all over when my mother showed up. So, so we, we did it twice. So went through the ceremony. Your mom comes after the fast. And what was it? Why did you d- decide to... Um, well, so she can see, so she could be part of, yeah. you know, so she could be part of. But, man, there went the nitpicking at my wedding. <clears throat> yep. You know, you're pulling on my clothes. Um, you're pulling on me. You're, um, you got this thing about this tattoo, you know, that is my tattoo of what not to ever do it again mm. in my life. What's you your know? tattoo? Has a name on it. And it's a, not a full heart. It's a the heart that's not even sealed, you know? And what does that symbolize? Um, for me, never to... Be in love with an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Never be in love with an abuser? Yeah. What is it you, if when you think about someone who never had incarceration in their life or lives, um, are there certain things you want people to know about the women inside? We all need help, some shape, form, or fashion. And um, just for, um, if it just helps one person, then you've helped. All of us inside have been through some type of um, abuse or trauma. Um, they're not bad people, you know, just um, people who need help. We need help. Mm-hmm. Some people take the help or some people can't and still live with the trauma. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. The beat goes on. Tammy, I really want to thank you personally, professionally, for sharing your journey and an incredible journey. And I am so proud to um, stand with you in this work. And um, I get so much from talking to you, including every day is therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Every day is an opportunity to heal and grow. So thank you for... uh, showing us your incredible mind and your incredible heart. And major congratulations for who you are. Mm, Thank you. I'm your host, Sonny Schwartz, and this is the Life Sentence Podcast. Here's what's coming up next time. This podcast is produced by Leslie Grisanti Creative, a Minnesota-based production company specializing in video, animation, and audio production. In-kind support comes from Five Keys Schools 
and programs celebrating 20 years providing traditionally underserved communities the opportunity to improve their lives through education, employment, recovery, family, and community. And special thanks to the California Department of Corrections and the women and staff at CCWF, Warden Anissa De La Cruz, Lieutenant Monique Williams, Chelsea White, Chris Medina, and Courtney Waybright. The executive producer and creator of this podcast is Leslie Grisanti. Miss Ellie Drews is our audio recordist and editor. Maria Barr is our podcast producer. And consulting producers are Rachel McFadden and Velda Dobson-Davis.